Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. and just be reminded how much God loves us, how much he's for us. And um, it is a privilege to be able to share space, open up his word, and then just ask him to speak to us. And he always does. And so um, before we jump into the message today, let's just take everything that we brought in the room, all of the distractions, all of the things that are pulling at us, all the things that are weighing us down. And uh, let's just set that to the side and let's ask God to meet with us in this space. Jesus, thank you so much for the way that you love us that you're for us, that you came as love embodied, God. You are the good news, and you carry this good news for every single person in this room today. And I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to each and every person who's here. God, as we open up your word, what you wrote, and, uh, and, and just the story of who you are, that your character would be on display, your promises for us would be on display, and that you would stir something in us. Lift the head of every single person who's in here to help us see and experience Jesus fresh, a new perspective. God, you have new grace, and you have new mercy, and you have more for us. Help us not to operate out of fear. Help us not to be scared, to step into the abundant life that you want us to live, but really just die to self. Set aside our agenda. Step into yours. You are a miracle worker, God. You do do amazing things, Lord. We know that because we watched that App State game yesterday, Lord. We thank you for that too, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, you got to thank you for all the things. High five somebody around you, hug someone, tell them happy Sunday. That play was crazy though. Um, hey, before we get into the message today, we, start, we started a new series a couple weeks ago called The Good News, and uh, we're really excited to share that, part three. But before we do that, I just a few things that we want to celebrate out the gate. Last weekend, we turned four years old as a church, and we celebrate, yeah, yes, there's going to be a lot of clapping. Uh, but, but four years um, as a church, and we, we launched a 5 p.m. service last week. And the cool thing about last week, we had 1,073 people come and hang out with us on a Sunday, which was really great. The only reason why that matters is because eight people gave their lives to Jesus last week, and we had 15 over the last couple weeks. We have, uh, it feels like 247 people getting baptized today. I'm not exactly sure what the count is. But, but I'm telling you that because... Um, Baptism is uh, really just our way of saying, hey, this is, this is who I am in Christ. And, and I just want, at the end of services today, for you guys to hoop, holler, celebrate, champion everybody who's making that bold. It's just an awkward thing that we do as we follow Jesus, and I think it's meant to be awkward. Like, I'm in a pool, and now you're going to dunk me under. And people are always stressed out about, like, am I coming up? What do I got to do? And I got to hold my nose or what's happening? And, but it really just is about death to an old self and being raised to new life in Christ is what the Bible tells us. And uh, I just want to encourage you. Um, the table set, if you're here today and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you made him the leader of your life, but you haven't taken that next step in baptism, we prepared just for this moment for you. And, and it's just a God thing. If he just stirs you to, to take a next step in baptism, we have a team that would love to pray with you, talk you through baptism. There's a change of clothes, towel. Uh, you don't have to wait six months in order to move on what you know God's asking you to do today. We got you covered. We're going to capture the moment. But just be praying on that, thinking on that. And then more than anything, we just want to celebrate with everybody taking that step today. 
A couple things uh, that we've got moving for us as a church, things, big things that are happening. This Wednesday night, if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, uh, we're, we have a big announcement for youth, and, and it's going to change the game for the way that we do youth. There's been a lot of energy, a lot of headspace, a lot of prayer resources poured into what is going to be next gen in this season. And youth, uh, if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, if you have a middle schooler or a high schooler, if you know one, if you're a human, uh, tell someone, 6.30 on Wednesday night, Middle schoolers and high schoolers come and hang out and hear that big announcement, and we're super excited for that. And then 412 happens this week. We do this every semester, and by every semester, I mean last year we tried it on, and it worked. So, But 18 to 25-year-olds, and there's quite a few. Um, I know we have a ton of LR bears up in here. We have some CVCC people. We have some people who are just your post, uh, you know, undergrad and you're working uh, big boy, big girl jobs. You're just out there adulting, but you still need like a group of people to roll with. And you're going, what is the landscape like in Hickory? 18 to 25 year olds. There's quite a few that are part of our church family. Come and hang out on Thursday night. If you want to help us build it, want to help us lead it tonight after the 5 p.m. service, um, we're going to do a little a holy huddle to talk about the game plan for um, um, for this coming Thursday night. So if you want to help us build that out, come hang with us after the 5 p.m. tonight, and uh, we'll feed you and talk shop about how God's going to build 412. But we're super excited for that. That's this Thursday. So um, the team at the back of the room or somewhere, they have these, and it's just information on time and, and location and all that stuff. It's here at the mill. We do a food truck. We do live music. There's a teach attached to it, and it's really just to encourage you in your season of life. All right, we going good news. I got good news. So we kicked off um, this whole series saying that Jesus is both uh, the embodiment of the good news, but he also heralds and he brings the good news. And that word, the gospel that you hear referred to all the time in church world uh, is, the def- is defined as good news. And the Greek word, the original word is euangelion, euangelion. And so uh, it just means that it, the news itself is good. It means the one who brings the news uh, is it, it refers to that, but also it's referring to how we bring that good news, uh, euangelion. And so that's just, it ought to mark us as Jesus followers. And I feel like the church, um, is not marked so many times by good news, but by things that are negative or what we have to say, judgmental things about other people, or it's just, we've kind of, We've kind of poisoned the well a little bit when it comes to messaging. When it looks like the first century church, the thing that they operated off of was the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and that was it. Um, The apostle Paul goes to a Gentile people, and they don't have any of the Old Testament. They don't have any of the canon and scripture. They don't have any of the Bible in the way that you and I know it. The only thing they had to go off of was apostle Paul rolled up and was like, Jesus is alive, and his resurrection has implications for yours. You're welcome. I got good news. And then their lives were changed, and, and God got a hold of their heart with just that simple messaging of the good news, that God loves them, is for them, extends grace to them, and through the person of Jesus can transform their lives. And so people went all in. They surrendered with like very little context. And so I just think we need to make the main thing the main thing. That's what this series is all about. And that's the reason, honestly, why we're seeing life change is because of that. Week one, we talked about condemnation. So we're taking these, these kind of like bad news or words that would can be considered to be kind of negative headlines. And we're talking about how the gospel, the good news, how that transforms those words. So condemnation just means death sentence. You and I condemn things all the time with our speech. We just speak death over things or we hear that things are condemned. Basically, people are condemned. And you and I, the, the, the story, the real story is, is that you and I step into this world and, and death sentence awaits. 
And, and, uh, and it's so sometimes people think, well, if I choose Christ, I choose life. And if I don't, I choose death. But no, you're already, the Bible tells us you're already dead. And that when we come alive in Christ, that's what he's here for. You and I need a savior so that we can experience life the way that God desires for us to, to live it. And so um, the idea is that we're already condemned. Jesus comes, steps into the courtroom and says, I'll take their sentence, put it on me. And so we, we, we accept his offer and his gift of salvation, and then our lives are transformed by that. That's the good news. Week two, we talked about failures. So what does it look like? As we follow Jesus, we're disciples, but we step in it, and we say something, we do something, we hear something, we see something, we think something that we know is counter to God's call in our life. Basically, you failed, and sometimes epically, if we're being serious. But, um, but we see a biblical precedent in the person of Peter. We talked about this last week, that Peter fails huge. Not like not in a small way, like big time failure. And, uh, and yet Jesus has breakfast with him on the beach and says, what are you doing? Why are you out here trying to catch fish? Like I called you to be my disciple, come and follow me. And uh, the thought is somehow that we disqualify ourselves from following Jesus or being used by God when we fail. He knows you are going to fail. Uh, that's why you needed him. And you will continue to. So it's not the same God who saves you, the same one who sanctifies you, makes you look more like his son. And so that was the good news around failure. This week, we're going to look at Luke chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to talk about this word. So instead of condemnation or failure, we're going to talk about isolation. We're going to talk about isolation and, um, and how we're just a lonely people. Like we need one another. We need people. And overwhelmingly, we hide and we're pretty isolated the way that we operate. And Jesus teaches us some things in Luke chapter 8. Before, before Luke 8, uh, in Luke 7, Jesus has, up to this point, he, just right before, he has healed uh, the centurion's servant. This government official comes to him, hey, servant's sick. You don't even have to do anything if you'll just say the word. And Jesus just like, you know, from the three-point line, he just was like, boom, he's healed. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so he goes back, brother's healed. And then he resurrects a kid from the dead. And then also he goes, uh, he sends word to John the Baptist who's questioning, are you the one? Cause I'm in prison and this is not exactly how I saw this shaking out. And Jesus says, yes, I'm the Messiah sends word back to John. And then, um, and then also, uh, a part of this passage is when, um, he's at a dinner party and, and when he's at this dinner party, woman comes in to worship, and it's pretty awkward for everybody who's there. She takes a, a bottle of perfume, pours it over his feet, her tears. She's just so moved, so broken by who Jesus is and what he's done for her that she just worships and then dries his feet with her hair. And everybody's like, what is happening? So all this is kind of a precursor to chapter 8. Jesus, Chapter 7, Jesus was busy. And so uh, chapter 8, it starts this way. It says, after this, after this. And it hit me this week, I'm, I'm reading this, and it's just those two words hit me because it just, I love that we serve and after this God, that no matter what, we, what, what our life has looked like up to this point, like no matter what brokenness, what sin, what strong things, what suffering, what loss, whatever you may have endured, there is a after this. And that's, the good, that's good news in and of itself and that God wants to meet you right in your story, right where you're at, and you go, dude, I brought all kinds of junk in this room today. After this, there's good news. There's good news that follows up these two words. Look at this. Jesus traveled about from, uh, from one to town and village to another, proclaiming the what? The good news. Good news of the kingdom of God. And just like Mark's gospel, um, 
this, that just kicked everything off and said, hey, this is the good news of who Jesus is, the Son of God. Luke does the same thing, but I love Luke because he gives us all kinds of details. Dr. Luke gives us all kinds of details. Look at this. It says, the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. I love that the men were just with him, but the women had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. You know what I mean? Come on, Luke. What's that? But, but I love that he gives us the details of, hey, listen, these, these disciples, these followers of Christ, there were the 12 that get acknowledged on a regular basis. There's also some women present. Who, who's there? He says, Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. I don't know what you're dealing with. But it ain't as bad as Mary. Come on, right? You might have a couple demons, but you don't have seven, right? She's had, she has some business. And so Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and then it says, and many others. So guys, girls, basically Jesus is sharing the good news. He is the good news. He, he's come. We serve a God who is God incarnate, a God who decided, hey, listen, it's not enough for me to just send a text, not enough for me, that's a word for somebody, not enough for me to just send an email, not enough for me to just send carrier pigeon or just like write it on something, but like I'm going to show up. I am the good news. So he's God who shows up as the good news, and then he brings the good news to the people who are there. How does he do it? With a tribe, with a group, with people. He don't need none of these fools. He don't need a single one of the disciples. He don't need none of them. But he decides, I'm going to carry the good news how? With people. Because what happens over the course of his ministry is everything that Jesus does, they see. And he knows it's not so much. Now, he had all the words to say. Nobody said it better. Right? We're, we're so limited in language. We really hard, have a hard time putting words to the things of God. But he, he said it so eloquently. He's the best teacher of all time. And yet, he says, nothing's going to hit quite like me being here. So I'm just going to show up and show you how to do this thing. You pay attention to how I love and serve the people around me. This is what Jesus says in John. He, this is his application for what I just said. John 15, 12. Jesus says, here's my command. Consolidate all the commands, all the law of scripture in this. Love each other as I've loved you. And so he says, the best way for me to teach you is to show you exactly how to do it. Now, you, you take inventory. Now, here's, here's what I want you to do. Here's the good news. This is what I'm doing for you. Now, I want you to go to the rest of the world and do exactly what it is that I've done for you. And so uh, we see this in the early church. They're so alive in Christ. They're so in love with Jesus that all the things that usually divide us, things like economy, things like ethnicity, things like context, things like background and language and all the things that even politics, all that kind of stuff, they just set that junk to the side and there was just uncommon unity that marked the house. The first century churches blew up. Why? Because they loved one another so well. They had, they had the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, and they had the power of the Holy Spirit that just gave them over to love others the way that they had been loved. And this is what he's asking us to do. And it sounds so easy, and it's very simple. Oh, but it's so hard. Like loving the people around us and preaching a message with our lives, being the good news to the people around us is not easy. And yet this is the over and over again, the new Testament imperative, the apostle Paul, he gives commentary uh, to it in the new Testament when he's like, Hey, you guys, James as well, you guys are carrying the message of Christ. You're carrying the message, this gospel message, this good news. 
don't jack it up is what he's saying in the New Testament. He's like, stop doing dumb things. Stop sinning. Stop living inconsistent with what you know to be true about who God's called you to be because you are the message. You are the message. In the same way that Jesus came, he is the message. He equips his church to do the same. And so over and over again in the New Testament, things like be devoted to one another. Honor one another. We could, we could work on our honor. Love one another. Greet one another. Don't be awkward. Just go in for the hug. Greet one another. You know what I'm saying? Like, just, just go for it. Encourage one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Invite somebody to dinner. It's so, just, just invite them over. Uh, be patient with one another. That one's for me. Don't deceive one another. Stop lying. Forgive one another. And you get the idea over and over again in the New Testament. It's just like, hey, one another one another. That's what I want you to do. And, and learn, learn how to do it the way that I've called you to. So my way of loving God is displayed in my love for others. And the way that I express love to others, it lets the world know who I follow. This is the reason why it's so important. Because Jesus says, this is so important, i got to come and show you. Like, I could save you from a distance. But I'm here to show you. This is, how, this is what it looks like, this is what love looks like. And so, again, he says, my, love, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. The problem is, is that most of us, we're not great at relationships. We're not great at communicating to one another. We don't speak life over the people in our lives. We're not great at honoring one another. We're not great at hospitality. We're not great. We're so insecure. Most of us operate out of a place of fear. We're marked by things that have happened to us, things that we've done to ourselves, things that we've done to others, that we avoid conflict like the plague. Oh, my goodness. We're just not great at peopling. And yet Jesus shows us in, in Scripture like everything in life meaningful is meaningful because of the people around you. You think about your wedding day and the people that were present. You think about the birth of your kid and the people that shared that moment with you. You think about little things like if you're in school, we think about the moment you scored a touchdown. It like it hits because there's people celebrating with you. If you just score a touchdown by yourself, you're just out in the field, you're just like, yeah, like no one cares. Like it's just real sad. You hit a hole in one, no one sees it. Not it doesn't hit quite the same as if some somebody's around. Even the hard things that we face, the failures, the losses, the being let go, somebody passed, I got really sick. What may, what put meaning on all of that was the people in those situations. If you have a birthday party. It's just nice to have a birthday party that people come. You know what I'm saying? Like if you throw a birthday party for yourself and like nobody shows up, oh, that's terrible, right? So like isolation. But many of us, we just live in a space where we're lonely. We operate in a lonely place. And the sad reality is, is that we're lonelier than ever. Some of the people that you know are so successful by the world standards um, are some of the loneliest people. And I know because I talk to them. And so, like, you can have all the things, you can have all the money, you can have all of the influence and all the platform and all of that. Your family can look so good. You can have that family. You know when you go to Target and you get a picture frame, and you got that family that just is in the picture frame. Your family can look just like that, right? You just like, have, all, have it all together, and yet you just be so empty on the inside, so isolated. And you're just like, man, I just need to be known and lo- fully known and fully loved is what everybody wants. But we hide. It's like, man, as long as they don't know about fill in the blank, whatever they don't know about, I'm good. And, and God wants to free us up to a place to be a, a community of people 
bound by uncommon unity because of his love for us. And when we experience his love, man, we're able to love and serve the people around us better. The first problem in, in the Bible wasn't sin. First problem in the Bible is isolation. Look at Genesis 2, 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good. Everything else up to this point in scripture was good. Very good. He's looking out at his creation. And he's going, that's awesome. He looks at Adam alone and is like, ah, that's not good. That's not good. He's going to jack it up. Like I need to, like we need to, we need to add something to this mix. And so him being in isolation wasn't good. We serve a God who is in constant community with himself. We serve a Trinity. We serve father, son, Holy spirit. Since, since eternity passed, God has been in community with himself. And then it's supposed to mark us and our lives are supposed to reflect uh, the same community he calls us to. This is what first Peter says in four, uh, eight through 11. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And it does, man. When, when you love people really well, they do dumb things, right? And when you, the, the more unconditional your love is, the more, the, the more grace that's offered when people fail, when people go through hard things, step in it, right? I'll give you a, a great example. Like if you watch some, you know, murder trial on TV or whatever. Everybody knows this guy did it. Who's in the courtroom? Mom. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And so uh, it, it says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's so key. If anybody speaks, man, do it as one who speaks with words of God. If anybody serves, do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God can be praised through Jesus. Basically, First Peter, he's saying, listen, you have been given some things. You have been given some time. You have been given some talents and some gifts. You have been given some treasure. Some of you got a really nice house. You're like, why we got this really nice house for? We don't ever do anything with it. Hospitality is why you have that really nice house. Invite somebody over, bro. You got a really nice house. You got that dining room table that like nobody sits at, right? Uh, or like, why do we have this boat? Or why do we have this margin in our schedule for other people? That's why you have it. That's what he says in 1 Peter 4. He says, hey, everything that you've got, all the gifts that you've received, they're there to serve other people. Steward it. Steward the things that God's given you and make it about others. Again, be the message. Be good news for the people around you. And the more that I realize what God's done for me, the greater the impact that I have on the people around me. The, the more that I have that realization, the, just the greater, the, the greater that I love, God sh lifts my head and shifts my perspective to see you for who you are and love you better in that space. And so... Listen, we're in group season as a church, and um, we, we do groups. The purpose behind groups isn't just to add things to, like, a program. Ain't nobody got time for that. Like, I, I don't want to add one more thing to your schedule or obligate you to do a thing. You need people. You need people. Some people come into our church on a Sunday, sip a cup of coffee, superficial hellos, nobody knows my name, it won't last. You love it. You'll love the worship. You're like, I understand what he's saying kind of sometimes and jokes land sometimes, but I don't really, you know, but I don't know anybody. You need to be connected. You need people. You need people. You cannot follow Jesus in isolation. This is not what our Lord modeled. He took the, he is the good news. And then he took the good news with a group of people. And then he asks us to do the same thing. Hey, 
you don't, don't try and follow him in isolation. There's like zero biblical precedent for it. You can't do it. And so we serve, um, we serve a God, Jesus, who literally at Christmas time, we sing about it. He is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He came. He put on human flesh, walked around. Message was so good. Hey, I can't, I can't send it. I've got to be the message. And then he asks us to do the same thing. And then he says, as Jesus leaves, he ascends and he goes to heaven. And he says, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, to be with the Father. I'm going to prepare a place. But when I leave, I'm really not leaving you. Because the only thing better than me walking alongside of you and ministering around you is my spirit in you. So when I leave, I'm sending a helper, a comforter. I'm sending my very spirit. My presence is going to be inside of you. So if you surrender and trust your life to me, I've now equipped you with something you didn't have before, which is my very spirit. And for as a Jesus follower, you know what that's like to come to faith in Christ, surrender your life to him, and then begin, the Holy Spirit begins to teach you some things about who you are. Some predispositions to sin, some struggles, some areas of inconsistency in your life, not to judge you, make you feel bad or shamed, but to free you from, from stupid things. <laughs> like, I'm here to help you. I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to guide you. Um, and I always liken it to, I mean, the, the best, the best example I have is like just that, that GPS. I don't know. Nothing hits better than that GPS metaphor where you're just going along. You decide I'm going off in this random direction and it just reroutes you the way that God wants you to go. And so the Holy spirit speaks to us. He is our comforter. He's our guide and he's God with us. And so, um, we're never isolated. You're never alone. And we forget, you guys forget, but at any given time, you're in your bedroom, you're laying in the bed, you wake up in the morning, you're in the shower, you're in the drive to work, wherever you go, break room, whatever that looks like, in the, in the locker room, whatever. He's with you. He's with you. And so Jesus, what he does is he spends his last hours on earth, there's about five chapters, John 13 through 17, where he is teaching his disciples, hey, it's getting ready to go down this week. Uh, it's going to be a rough week for my guys. You know what I'm saying? Like it's going to be real rough. And so, but he, but he's teaching them about community, about loving one another, serving one another and about the Holy spirit in John 13 through 17. He's teaching them about how to not be isolated and the good news that he has for isolation, the good news that he has for loneliness. And so when the disciples show up to celebrate Passover, the week of the Holy week, um, as they get there, it would have been customary to have somebody wash the feet of the guests who, who come and a servant of whoever's hosting would wash the feet. And, uh, but all of the disciples walk into this space to celebrate Passover with Jesus and all of them walk by a basin and all of them walk by water and a towel and they look at it and they look around and they don't see a servant, but they all say to themselves, that's not for me. I am not lowest man on the totem pole. I might be, I might be, I might be number seven, number eight, maybe. That's probably Bartholomew. He's got that, and he'll pick that up. So they all go sit down. You know, they're all getting situated at the table. Nobody gets the basin. Nobody gets the towel. They all failed epically. Jesus picks it up, wraps the towel around his waist, and begins to wash the feet of the ones that he leads. And they are weirded out by this moment, as they should be. And so Peter. Peter is so weirded out, he begins to rebuke. Peter's already called Jesus God at this point, but he begins to say, oh, this makes zero sense. It's so awkward for me. Look at this in verse 8 of chapter 13. Peter says, no, no, this is weird. No, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus answers, same passage. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
And then Peter was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Uh, wash it all, Lord. You know, he like is, but, but, but that moment where he's like, this is so weird. Uh, it's just a vulnerable thing. I don't know if you've ever like had your feet washed by someone else or if you've ever washed someone else's feet. It's awkward. How many of y'all, you hate feet? You're just like, feet are disgusting. How many of you, you have like a foot fetish, right? It's weird. Don't raise your hand, right? If people judge you, you're like, oh my God, who's going to raise their hand on that? Someone had a couple of people raise their hand last service. I felt so bad. They were like, oh, oh. But it's, but so some people take care of it. You know, you got pedicures, things like that. Y'all have 21st century feet, right? So you have soap, things like socks, nice shoes, Toenail clippers, right? You got, you got a fungal medicine if something bad happens. You know what I mean? You got some athlete's foot or something. There's a, there's a treatment for that. First century Palestinian feet, little different, okay? You're out in the desert, open-toed shoes. There are no toenail clippers. I'm just painting a picture for you right now. It's beautiful. And it's just disgusting, just nasty. And Jesus leans down, and that's what he's dealing with. That's what he's working with. He's not working with highly pedicured feet. He's working with gross feet, Peter feels it and goes, this is the worst part of myself. And the Lord is down on his knees washing. This is awkward. This is not what I, and so he's, he begins to say, you can't, no, don't, please don't, don't deal with that. I don't want, I don't want you to, I don't want you to mess with that. And I feel like it's a picture of how most of us approach a relationship with God. We love the idea of church. We love the idea of heaven. I believe in you, but there's parts of me that I really feel like I don't want you to see Right? I don't want you to talk about what's unclean. I don't want you, to, I don't want you near that. That's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel right. I just, let's just pretend and keep moving. Let's just don't deal with that. And then Jesus looks at you and says, hey, unless, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Why is that important? Because Jesus is teaching him. He's saying, listen, this is how this works. There's areas of your life that I need to work on. And as I work on those things and I redeem those things and I make you look more like me in those things, I clean up some areas of your life that are pretty dirty, pretty nasty, pretty uncomfortable. Now you're prepared to take the good news of what I've done in your life to other people who need it. Isn't it funny that your misery becomes your ministry, that, that the pain points give you way to purpose? That the hard things that we navigate in life are often the things that God uses. We talked about this last week. But last week, your failure becomes this fulcrum for just future ministry. The things that God wants to do. You, the people who lead Celebrate Recovery are recovering addicts. And you and I, there's not a single person in this room who doesn't have things that we need to work on. So we have like in the church, we have like our sins that are just kind of taboo sins. And we're judging people from a distance instead of going, okay, what? what are the things in my life that are inconsistent with who God's called me to be? Like, what are the things that, where do I need my feet washed? Lord, wash my feet um, so that I can take part in what you're doing, so that I can carry the good news. Look at chapter 13. Jesus, he gives us this idea all throughout this chapter. And the idea is that I need someone to care for me. I need someone to wash my feet. I need someone to care for me. Jesus goes on, he says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? And he asked him, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, get this, you should also wash one another's feet. Now you're ready. Now you're ready. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so the idea is that we need someone to care for us. You need someone to care for you in a season where you're, you're having a hard time, you're struggling, you're going through some hard things, you're battling some brokenness in, your, in some area of your life. But you also need to be able to extend care to others. 
And some of us are way better at trying to help other people or trying to extend care to other people than we are at receiving it. Don't look at your spouse. Like, but people that are just like, oh, no, we're good. I don't need any help. We're good. It's like you, you're a hot mess. And you're, meanwhile, you're just like, we got it. We got it. It's like you don't got it. Like you need one another. You need to invite some people into your life to help care for you and love you and encourage you. And it's not like you've reached a place in your faith or, or in following Jesus that you no longer need people to, to care for you. You need people to care for you. You need people to show up when things are hard. You need people to care. And you need to do the same for people. This is what he's asking. He's asking us to do this. And so um, God does this incredible work in us so that we can serve other people. That's what it's about. Romans 12, 15. I love the way that Paul puts commentary on it. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. It's so great. He's like, if it's time to party, have a party. Celebrate other people's wins. If you struggle to celebrate other people's wins, that's a sign of some things. That's a different message. But, but celebrate other people's wins. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If you've got friends, family, people who are succeeding, celebrate them. And then he says, mourn with people who are having a hard time. Show up. Have a ministry of presence. Some of the most, one of the most godly things you can do is when people are suffering around you is just show up and hug them. And just say, I love you. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to, like, if they need a word of encouragement, bring it. But more often than anything, just being there and mourning with those who mourn is how God works. And so Paul says, hey, you need each other. You need to care for the people around you. First Corinthians twelve twenty six. he puts it this way in a different angle. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part of the body, if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so you need some people to do faith with and do life with and, uh, and, and, and to do exactly what he's talking about. Suffer alongside of people, honor, rejoice alongside of one another. And so for us at Soma, this season, uh, you know, the vehicle, the primary vehicle for care is groups. People come, they're like, how do you guys do care? Groups. That's how we do care. And increasingly, groups. Um, and like what happens when, you know, this, when, when you kind of grow and we get to a, groups is what happens. How you got groups is how we're going to care. Basically we're God equips the body. God equips his church. All of you have different gifts. If you're a Jesus follower, some of you have the gift of teaching, some hospitality, some knowledge, some prayer, some mercy, whatever. He gives the body everything that it needs in order to build it, including people who are called to lead other people and shepherd and steward and care for a small group. And you know who you are. I don't even have to tell you. Some of you are already doing it. Some of you are like, hmm, that was for me. Just file that away. Go through growth track. Lean in. Use and leverage the gifts that God's given you for who? For other people. And so um, if all you do this season of life is gather with other believers and encourage each other, someone remind each other of what God's already said. Scripture is an important element of encouragement. Again, encourage each other. Scripture, pray for one another. Dude, if all you do is pray, pray for one another and then challenge each other and encourage each other to take a next step wherever you feel like you need a next step. Sometimes just processing what those next steps are with a group of people is so helpful. Sometimes you just need a sounding board. You need a wise counsel. You need people who love you, who love God, who are pursuing the way of Jesus to be in a space. Some of you, you're, you push back on the idea of groups, but you already group. You already group. 
you already have friends, you already hang out, you already click, you already have a posse, you already have a group of ladies that get together, you already have a group of men that get together, you already have couples that get together, whatever that looks like for you. But just the idea as a follower of Jesus is to do it with purpose. The idea is, okay, now we're going to pray for each other. I need some people, and it's not that you can't have friends outside of the church. And it's not that you can't have friends that don't share your convictions, but you are supposed to be salt and light to those who are in dark spaces. Again, euangelion means evangelism. Good news is to be shared. And some people, some tribes, some churches think, well, that's just for you guys. We don't want to proselytize. We don't want to share the good news, which is insane. We have the best news ever. It's going to free you. It's going to redeem you. It's going to give you over to fulfillment and a life eternal. We don't want to share that junk. Like, that's insane. Versus going, are you kidding me? So the New Testament church, were, they were so alive with the good news that they were like, we don't care what it costs us. We will give our lives. This is crazy. God came, was here, and gave his life for me and you. Why would we not share this? This is insane. So this is what it's like. This is what he's calling us to do. And, uh, and we need to care for the people around us. But then also he goes on in verse in chapter 14, he teaches us that we need someone to encourage us. I need somebody to encourage me. Not only do I need someone to care for me when, when bad things are happening, hard things are happening. I need somebody to encourage me. Look at John 14, one, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And so this whole chapter, if you read it, he's talking to his disciples about the future hope of eternity. Because again, he's getting ready to die and they're getting ready to get persecuted. And every single one of these guys, with the exception of John, are, they're martyred for their faith. And John had a really rough run of it himself. And all the first century church leaders, basically a majority of them give their lives for the sake of the good news. And Jesus encourages them. How? How do you encourage a group of people who are so persecuted that they are killed for their faith and their convictions with the future hope of eternity? Jesus says, don't get distracted by like, Look at me. Jesus is like, just look at me. Just look at what, what you have to expect. Let me encourage you. And sometimes the hard things that we navigate, they're so hard that it takes eternity for encouragement. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so encourage the people around you. And sometimes it's real hard. Sometimes you go to a funeral. How do you encourage people at a funeral? Eternity. <laughs> when I go to a funeral or I do perform a, fu a funeral of someone who's a believer in Jesus, a follower, someone who surrendered their life to Christ, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't sad. Eternal perspective is let's go. Let's celebrate this great life. And they're in a better place than we are. That's the faith that we hold in Christ. And sometimes it just takes, you need people in your life who can shift your perspective. Brooke and I, last year, um, when we got news about our daughter, Zoe Hope, she had uh, a condition that was incompatible with life. She had an extra chromosome. It was clear to everybody she wasn't going to make it to term. We're processing this with the people in our group. We're at a kitchen island talking to another couple in our group, and we're sharing with them about the hard things that we're getting ready to go through. And Sally looks at Brooke as Brooke shares, and Sally says, didn't miss a beat. She said, what a privilege it is that God would trust you with that. And it was like, what? Like an angle we never 
we were just like, hey, pray for us. And she was like, hey, what a privilege that God would trust you with that. And we were like, yo, okay. Like it just hit, it, it, it hit different. And then so much so that I came and shared one week last year. And when I shared that, um, there was a lady who had been coming to our church, Rebecca, and they they'd only been coming like two weeks. They had just joined a group. Didn't know why they came to this church. Didn't know why they joined a group. And the week that I shared that story, she heard that. Fast forward like a week or two later, she's in the doctor's office and they say, you have cancer. And she told me, this is the, earlier this year, she told me out in the courtyard, she said, when they told me I had cancer, she said, all I could think of was, what a privilege that God would trust you with that. And I was like, okay. Like, and so it's so cool. Like God, like the good news of who he is, what God wants, his love for me, his desires for me. He speaks through another individual. The idea is to just let God get on you in such a way, the good news get in you in such a way, you just begin to spill out into other people. It just overflows into other people. And then you, I'm impacted by it so much so that I, I mean, the same thing. Just You never know what encouragement can do for those who need it. You never know the ripple effect. You never know the impact that you have on other people's lives by being obedient in that moment when God's like, hey, I want you to say this to this person. Say it. Life is short. Say it. Write a letter. <laughs> Send that text. Don't delete that thing. Right? Send it. Meet someone. Take some, I mean, just encourage the people around you. And again, not just for the sake of encouragement, encourage them, encourage them with good news, care for them and encourage them with good news and, and just watch God work in that. And then look what Jesus does in chapter 15. So he teaches us, Hey, I need care. I need encouragement. And then he teaches us, I need somebody to partner with me. John 15, four through five, remain in me as I also remain in you. Jesus is asking his followers to partner with him. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Hey, guys, if you want to make any kind of impact, we got a partner. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And so Jesus invites us into a partnership. Again, he doesn't need you to do anything. He just invites you in for the sake of your benefit. And then he works through you for the people around you. But we're a part of the body of Christ, which means that we're supposed to stay connected to the source. And if we stay connected to the source, then we're serving the one another. We're loving well the people around us. We're better together. We need each other. This is Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one. That's good math. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Guess what? Three is better than two, right? And so uh, you need to partner with someone in a group, someone who can just do life and faith with you. Uh, you need to partner with people, which means not only do you need to care, not only do you need to encourage, but you just need to come alongside of them as they need it and as, as God equips. Just pray and think, how, how can I partner with the people in my circle, in my sphere of influence? And then God will stir your affections for the people in your span of care. Right? So isn't it funny how your friends, people who are closest to you, they don't mind coming over and helping. They're the ones you can call at 2 a.m. They're the ones on moving day. Ooh, dear Jesus, they're the ones on moving day that will show up and be like, I hate you so much, but I love you so much. Like, I am not looking forward to this, but you're my boy. So let's pick this heavy furniture up. Uh, but like, you know, like they'll, they'll sweat equity, 
time. Like, and, and, and just celebrate with, like, little Johnny has a soccer game. Bro, I'll paint my chest for little Johnny. We'll go out there and run the field for a soccer game. Like, I'll show up and partner with you. What does it look like to partner with the people that God's placed you around? And so um, it, just an application. If you're in a group this semester, partner as a, as a group. Pick a service project and bless somebody in your neighborhood. Somebody, just pray about it. Pray. I know it's wild. Pray first and then say, God, man, who can we bless? Who can we serve? How can we partner together as a group this semester to reach someone and just really encourage someone with the good news? And then watch God work. And then chapter 16, so Jesus, he teaches this. He teaches, I need someone to protect me. I need someone to protect me. I need someone to care for me. I need someone to encourage me. I need someone to partner. I need someone to protect me. And I need someone that has my back. I need someone that's at my six because there's things that I can't see. I have blind spots. Not sure about you, but I need people to protect me, not protect me just from other people. I need that. But mainly I need people to protect me from me. You need people to protect you from you. You need to be smart enough, wise enough, discerning enough to go, I struggle in these areas. I need accountability in these areas. I need some people who love Jesus, love me, will create some, some, some eyes on some angles on some things that I can't see. Who do, you, who do you invite into that space? When was the last time you had a hard conversation with someone, let, gave someone permission to ask questions, not questions like, how's the football game? Questions like, how's your soul? How's your heart? How's your mind? What do we think on? Where do we, what do we dwell on? How are we doing those? Do you have anyone in your life who asks those questions? And if not, you need people. And again, not to judge you, not to make you feel condemned, not to make you feel shame, but to free you from it. Because you already feel that. You've been carrying things for decades, and you need someone to help you. By, by helping you find some freedom from the things that you need freedom from and then help have your six. Hey, I'm going to protect you from these things. We need people who will not just ask superficial things, but go deeper, go to deeper waters with us because we need to protect one another. And again, the heart is for people. So I need care. I need encouragement, right? I need someone to partner with me, someone to protect me. And I need somebody to pray for me. This is Jesus high priestly prayer. John 17. This is hours before his death, hours before he's mocked, betrayed, denied. Uh, he's beaten. Bible tells us he's beaten beyond recognition. And then he is, he's nailed to a cross and then he suffocates to death on said cross. And so this is hours before this. Who does he pray for? Others. He says, uh, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those you have given me. And you might look at that passage and go, why is he? That's, all right, that's jacking with my theology a little bit. Because why is he praying for just them? Why, the ones that you've given me, why is he not praying for the world? Um, listen, God so loves the world that Jesus came. But in this moment, in John 17, Jesus says, hey, I'm interceding for my disciples. Why? Because if they're, they're good, the world's good. That's the way that I disseminate the message. That's the way that I work. The good news comes through them. The reality of my resurrection, the power of my Holy Spirit is going to make these brothers and sisters come alive in such a way that they are the good news to the people around them. I'm interceding for them. I'm praying for them. And you need people who are praying for you. 
for God to do in you and through you what only he can do. Because you can't do it. We have got to get like out of a mindset where we're strong enough, we're smart enough, we're, we're we, like, I can, I can work my way into right relationship or I can check all the boxes or I can be good. No, you can't. No, you can't. He says, John 15, you have to abide. You have to stay close. You have to intercede for people. You have to care enough that somebody has your back. You have to, you have to do it in community. Because in my natural flesh, I don't always want the right thing. I don't. But, but it's helpful to have other people in my world who want those things for me sometimes when I don't want them for myself. Isn't that awesome? And he says, guard yourselves up, right? You need to pray up so that I can do in and through you what you can't do for yourselves. And then I love it because in this same chunk of scripture, he gives us this like, okay, what if we've done all the things? What if we tried to like care and pray and protect and encourage? And what if we've done all this type of, you know, all those things? And, and, but it just, it ain't working. I need God to be what others can't. And you do too. John 14, 16 through 18. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus says, I will come to you. And so we serve a God who is with us and he was with us so that he can be in us. And some of you are lonely. Some of you are isolated. Some of you are in relationships that are just really hard right now. Some of you feel unseen. You feel unvalued. Some of you have success by the world's standards and yet you've never felt more lonely. You need a helper. Because no human, no human can fit that God-sized hole in your life. And sometimes, listen, some, some of us, oh, we, we try and make our spouse fit that hole or we try and make our kids fit that hole or we try and make some other kind of, you pick an idol, we try and make our vocation or whatever that fit that. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't hold up. Your spouse is a horrible God, okay? So it's like you need God to be what only God can be to you. You need a helper. I'll ask you, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you be with you for how long? Forever. You're never alone. You're never isolated. And you might be, you might be navigating a really hard season, but listen, keep moving. Keep moving. John, uh, Luke 8. But when it says Jesus carries his good news to the surrounding territories with his followers, with his disciples, it was after this. And some of you, you're on the cusp of after this. You are. You're like right there. You're right there. What you need is you need a tribe and you need a people and you need someone to stir your affection for the things of Jesus and just get you to a place that you're finally willing to surrender and go all in and go, Wash my feet. Wash them. 
it's so uncomfortable. It's so awkward. I don't like this moment. And yet, unless I have this moment, I have no part with you. I can't be used by you. And so, man, that's my prayer is that whatever your whatever isolation you're experiencing in this season, that God would give you over to the good news that he is with you. But he's also for the follower of Jesus. He's in you. And then he surrounds you with people who can be, who can carry your blind spots, who can help you serve you. Again, you can only follow Jesus together. So pray on that. Think on that. What does that look like for me in my life? Do I have people? Is anybody asking me questions? Am I dealing with hard things? If everything's superficial, everything's shallow, or am I actually getting better? Am I actually looking more like Jesus? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us. Thank you for your word, and thank you that not only do you carry this incredible message for every single person who's here, but you are that message. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would do in this moment what only you can do, and you would reveal the areas of our lives that we just miss out. You're not mad at us, but you want more for us. So stir our our heart up and give us over to courage and give us over to conviction so that we would actually change what needs to be changed, God, that we would repent, we would change the way that we think so that we can become more like Christ. We need a people. We need to be fully known and fully loved. We need the healing that comes, the healing balm that comes from confession. We need the freedom that comes from being honest with people in our lives about the hard things that we face, the things we've endured that have been done to us, that honestly things we've done to ourselves, and just be open so that we can move forward and and experience the healing that you want for us so that we can better serve the people around us. Help us to be the good news. Not just say a thing, but be a thing. And if you're here today and just in this talk about community and isolation, you're just experiencing for the very first time ever. And again, it's a God moment. You just see Jesus for who he is and go, I need you, Lord. I need a savior. I need a savior. And I see your life and your death and your resurrection. And I know that your, your own resurrection has implications for my own. Listen, your salvation is the moment you realize who Jesus is in relationship to you. You know you need a Savior. You know you need a Lord. And you ask him, invite him. You surrender your life to him. And go, I'll go all in. If you're here today and you've never, listen, as people are, are boldly just stepping into a pool of water to declare death to an old self and being raised to new life in Christ. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, I would love to give you an opportunity. The Bible talks about placing our faith and our trust in him, but also confessing him as Lord as a moment to really seal, seal salvation. Just, just say, this is where I'm at. I'm, I'm just putting it out there. And I would love to give you an opportunity to do that today. Right where you sit, with just head bowed, uh, your head's bowed and eyes closed. I, just right where you're at, if you want to accept Jesus as Lord, just raise your hand and just say, that's me. I know I need to surrender. I know I need to experience salvation. I know I need Jesus. And I know I'm missing out on that. And I can't do any of the things we've talked about without this moment. I need a moment. Right where you're at, just raise your hand. I see a hand. Is anybody else? 
just give you a minute just to wrestle with it and just say right where you're at just say Jesus thank you for loving me thank you for leading me thank you for serving me when I didn't deserve it thank you for taking my condemnation God and giving me over to a life sentence thank you for taking my failures and, and just using them for future purpose God, thank you for taking the isolation that I feel when you remind me that you're a God who came. You're a God who's with us, and now you're a God who's in me. And then you surround me with people who want the same things that I want. God, stir my affections for you. Surround me, root me. Create an environment to help me become more of who it is that you want me to become. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.